FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. This is Sasswet, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove, and I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio, where Bigfoot routinely stops by your back porch for coffee. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's true. I saw it on Facebook. Oh, wow. That's all that matters. There's a lot on Facebook right now about Bigfoot, and some of it is deeply disturbing. I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, but... I know exactly what you're referring to. Uh but just just look it up, folks, or don't. Really, you might be <laughs> you might be better off. It's things like it's not coffee. Let's put it that right. way. And it's things like Facebook that actually could ruin Bigfooting in general, especially in the in the mind of like the scientific community. I I fear for I fear that that actually with with the advent of the internet, the the Bigfooting or Bigfoot, the subject of Bigfoot in general, is harder to take seriously because of. Some of <laughs> some of what goes on online. Um, do you think? Do you think that it's actually putting more people out in the woods or not? I know that's sort of out of left field question. See, I don't think it's. I don't think the internet is at all. I think. I okay. think shows like Finding Bigfoot are, but yeah. I don't. I don't necessarily think that. I don't know. That's a. <laughs> That's actually a good question because, like, maybe it is. I mean, maybe people are excited to get out out in the woods so they can come home with a video, a blurry video, and be like, hey, check out what I found. You know, or, like, take a picture of a stump and post that and be like, check out what I found. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really cool question. I like that question. I have no idea. I would actually have to do some, like, some some searching online. It's... In my head, no, because I I know shows like Finding Bigfoot are inspiring kids to go out in the woods. But as for, like, is Joe Blow, Facebook user, not really interested in going out to look for Bigfoot? And then he gets on Facebook and joins, like, the Team Squatch and USA group or whatever. And then he's like, well, I want to experience this, too. You would think that would happen. I mean, why wouldn't it? it, Right. Because, like... I suspect it it maybe has happened. It's, it's just from the preponderance of of exactly that type of video on YouTube, for example. Right. And like I'm thinking of my reaction to podcasting. So like when I first found podcasting and started listening to podcasts, I wasn't even really listening to many podcasts. This was all the way back in 2008 when I got into podcasting. Um mm-hmm. I just thought that seemed fun. So like me and my friend Paul just fired up our Skype and used a couple headsets that we had and talked into them for a few episodes of a a show that we talked about comics on. But that was all just because we saw other people doing it and we were like, that seems fun. So you would think that would carry over to things like Bigfoot, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe, (laughs) 
maybe i don't think it's i think the number one cause of people getting out in the woods is finding bigfoot i really do and i know that Mm -hmm. i know a lot of people would argue with me about that and say they you know a lot of people hate that but i think that's just a fact i like it or not i think that's a fact i think kids get out in the woods because of finding bigfoot Mm -hmm. um so anyway, we got a letter. I'm going to read it real quick. Kevin Bird, Sasswat listener, sent us a letter. Seth and Mark, how about a show that discusses the business side of the Bigfoot phenomenon? The books, the movies, TV shows, the documentaries, wink, wink, the commercials, the souvenirs, tourism, the conferences, the radio shows, etc. How much money is being spent and how much money is being made and by whom? It seems to be an aspect of the movement that few in the Bigfoot slash crypto community want to talk about, but I think it is a fascinating topic and it could make for a very interesting show or series of shows. Who knows, it might even serve as the basis for a future documentary film on the subject. You could call it The Business of Bigfoot. I would love to hear your feedback on this. Please let me know your thoughts, both positive and negative. I always enjoy your efforts, and thanks so much for taking the time to consider my ideas on this topic. Kevin Bird. Thanks, Kevin. And awesome topic. I enjoy it. And Mark pointed out before we started recording, this was a good topic for us because I've, well, as you said, I've lived it, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But to be fair, you kind of have too, because like it or not, end of the day, people perceive Sasswat as some sort of business venture. (laughs) Because it's true. It's interesting. It's true because people don't, I don't think a lot of people understand how podcasting works, which which the way typical podcasts like Sasswat work is we actually lose money. Because uh, it's yeah. it's actually us paying to talk to you, um, exactly right. So so it's it's not really. I mean, it, maybe it is a business venture, just one we're doing badly, right? <laughs> failing yeah. at we're just failing at this business venture big time. Um, so I no, but I, yeah, sure. And I you know I will say this that um, there has to be some crossover between. Sasswat, small town monsters, you know, consciously so. And I don't think that, you know, I, I certainly don't have a problem helping, you know, send people in the direction of small town monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it does work that way. I got, I, I'm just going to say this up front, top of the show. Um, whatever people perceive as the business of Bigfoot is not as big for someone like me small town monsters, et cetera, as you probably think it is. Um, you are dealing with a very, very small subset of people uh, that are, are into Bigfoot. You're dealing with an even smaller subset within that subset who want to purchase, pay for entertainment relating to Bigfoot. And therefore, someone like me who's doing a Bigfoot documentary that isn't outlandish and crazy and all that kind of stuff is dealing with an even smaller subset who just mm-hmm. wants something that takes that subject seriously. So um, for, for myself, my own foray into the Bigfoot business uh, has not been incredibly lucrative. That's not why we're doing it. And, you know, I've been in the last couple of days, I've already heard, you know, I'm, we must be making a fortune and. You know, there. I read on one particular site today where someone had posted the the news article that ran about the Whitehall movie. Someone said that uh, the movie will suck, but they'll still make a small fortune. And I was like, well, that. I mean, that would be fantastic. Wow. Like, if we could yeah. put out a terrible movie and still make <laughs> a terrible, tiny, independent Bigfoot film and still make a small fortune, it'd be great. Um, but I don't really think what Kevin really wants to hear us talk about is like just small town monsters. I, I actually really mm-hmm. like this topic 
uh, for a number of reasons. And one is that I've, I've often debated with some of the people that take this very seriously and I don't have a problem with that. And I'm all for taking the subject seriously. Um, I'm a member of the NAWAC, which take this subject extremely seriously. Um, but I, I, I personally have always felt like it's, there's some sort of, I don't want to say childish, but there's, there's something romantic about the notion of an undiscovered woodland creature roaming about right outside your home that appeals to people and like it or not, that romanticism and that romantic notion of Bigfoot is what initially gets people into Bigfoot. And that's, I'm, I'm in it for both sides of it. It's, it's strange. Cause like I'm, I'm in the subject for both kind of sides. I, I love what got me into Bigfoot originally, which is like the mystery and kind of the, the excitement of going out in the woods and maybe seeing some undiscovered creature. And I'm also in it. Cause like, I want to know if these things are real and if they are real, what can we do to protect them if they exist? You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm in it for both things, and I don't think that necessarily has to be a problem. Like I'll always hold on to my love for things like In Search of, and those old '70s documentaries and Boggy Creek. While if this thing were proven tomorrow, I would want to be a part of the conservancy effort to save it. <laughs> like I mean, mm-hmm. I got a little deep there, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and there is no reason. I mean, those are not contradictory viewpoints, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. And I think that the, you know, your love for some of those uh, entry, uh, you know, like the like the documentaries that you were talking about, I mean, that in part explains why you're doing what you're doing today, I think, mm-hmm. is, you know, the way that those function for you, um, wanting to sort of propagate that for uh, the, the current generation and people coming down the pike who might be... Uh, not necessarily interested in the subject yet, but they see something that is not goofy and that's, you know, not campy and they, they give it a, a more thought than they had before. You know, that's what I see coming through the best sort of documentaries on the Bigfoot subject. Right. Now, Kevin asked some like very specific questions. Um, let's see the documentaries, the commercials, the souvenirs, tourism. Let me talk real quick about tourism. Cause I love this and I've been a part of this aspect of things now too, but I wrote a blog post like maybe a year and a half, two years ago, something, maybe it was a year ago. I can't remember about local towns embracing their Bigfoot. And I think I've even talked about this recently on Sasswood, but we are, we are in a, (laughs) this is going to get into like a whole uh, political climate kind of like socio thing with America right now, but we are in a place where small towns are hurting. Uh, like it or not, like small towns are hurting. There's these big businesses, chain stores, everything taking over small towns. Little businesses are going out. And the problem is little businesses are the lifeblood of these small towns. Like it or not, that's how it is. And I love the idea of small towns promoting their local monster because this is something that everyone has some level of interest in. Like it or not, everyone has some level of interest in the local monster. Everyone loves the stories about the, the, the creature that hides under the tunnel or the, the lake monster or whatever it is. Like people love this stuff. And if a small town like Minerva, like Falk can embrace that and actually turn it into something that brings in tourism revenue, 
Awesome. That's great. It's absolutely wonderful. We had 1,200, anywhere from 1,200 to 15 people show up for Minerva Monster Day. Totally unexpected by the town. They were expecting a couple hundred people to show up. That business carried over to the local businesses, the local stores that were all on the main street saw business because all those people were downtown for the Bigfoot thing. And they swung by the local diner and they stopped in at the local Mexican restaurant and they stopped by Kishman's IGA and bought cakes and it carries over and it helps the town. And I see people talk about, and I've even interviewed, it's a, there's a, there is a difference between the way your, your Joe Blow, uh, complainer whiner who who just wants to endlessly complain about the fact that like the local town is is propagating somehow something they perceive as being ridiculous and the way someone like um i'm trying to think of i don't want to use any names actually a bigfoot witness who went through an unusual incident way back in the 70s and then suffered ridicule because of it the way they might approach that someone like that probably isn't going to love the fact that their local town is now putting up statues of something that back in the seventies, they were ridiculed for even suggesting that they saw, but that the idea of a local town embracing that and using it to, to generate revenue. I love absolutely love. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for it in all, all its various means, whatever, whatever way you want to embrace it, do it. Hay rides, festivals, <laughs> haunted houses. If, if, if someone in your local town claims to have seen something and the incident became a big part of that history of that town, it should be remembered in, in any way possible. I, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think the days of that being a negative stigma are, are over for a couple of reasons. One is, as you pointed out, economic. I mean, it's hard to argue with the type of, turnout that Minerva had and uh, that Point Pleasant enjoys, for example, right. at their Mothman Festival. Right. I mean, how, who, what small town would not do anything to make that happen? Uh, so, you know, economically, it just doesn't make sense for people to, you know, kind of get uppity about the fact that it's a monster or something strange. And sort of dovetailing with that, I think, is that just culturally, we're in a different place where it is simply more acceptable to talk about these type of encounters. I mean, still, there's a fear of ridicule, uh, certainly, that you know um, that eyewitnesses have about coming forward. But I think that's that's changing significantly, not just around the edges, but I think that it's changing significantly. And TV has a lot to do with that. You know, we've talked about that before. So I think that it, the climate is right. That's not to say go out and invent something, but if there is something in your history that the time is right to, you know, to use the word, capitalize on a part of what makes your community what it is. Exactly. Yeah. And another part of this letter, he said, let me see, um, tourism conferences. We talk a little bit about conferences. I don't, I've been to one Bigfoot conference, um, the Ohio Bigfoot conference, and I enjoy it. It's it's a lot of fun. We we've got to hear some amazing speakers, Lyle Blackburn and all sorts of people. I mean, more people than I can even remember. Um, Cliff and all those guys. But I enjoy it. I can handle one a year, <laughs> personally. 
But I think maybe back when I was first getting into this, I would have enjoyed it more. But at this point, I've heard a lot of what people have to say. So I feel like sometimes when I sit down for this type of stuff, I'm just listening to variations of the same thing. Now, Mark, you you do a lot more of this type of stuff than I do. Yeah, I do. And I find it fascinating. I mean, the, the one thing that really draws me to conferences is the opportunity to hear various authors speak. Because in, in large part, the way I've gotten introduced to many of the voices in the, the Bigfoot and unexplained field is through their books. And so the chance just to get to hear them talk about their encounters, and a lot of times, you know, they'll, they'll be talking about what's most recently happened to them, you know, since a book was written. And I find all of, I find that end of things very, very interesting, you know, almost independent of the subject itself. But just like, you know, how some of these, like in the case of Linda Godfrey, for example, she didn't start out being a paranormal investigator, quote unquote. It sort of happened to her. And just that story to me is extremely interesting. Just as interesting as the Dogman stuff is how you go from being an independent reporter and political cartoonist to having, you know, a bunch of unexplained books under your belt and being thought of as someone, you know, an, an answer person to go to. You know, I had this encounter. Please help me process it and explain it. I mean, that's what she finds herself in is that situation. And so just getting the opportunity to talk to those people and, and for the most part finding them to be very open and very accommodating and, you know, I guess taking, taking the subject at various levels of seriousness, which is okay, uh, but just sort of getting their take on things. That's one of the the draws for me. Mm-hmm. Um, conferences in terms of money making machines, I don't think it's happening. I I just from um, my experiences with with these conferences, or more specifically the Ohio conference, and and my dealings with you know, not my dealings, but just frank conversations with the people that run it, they're spending a lot of money to get people he- here to actually speak. They're spending. There's all sorts of expenses that go into this stuff. I'm not saying they're doing it as like a pro bono charity to like the, you know like the pro bono Bigfoot charity conference or anything because I there is money in it. But it's as with everything, I really don't think it's what people are perceiving it to be. And that leads me into the the next thing that he asks about is the you know how much money is being spent and how much money is being made and by whom. I I really don't think that the independent side of Bigfoot is lucrative. I just don't. I don't think I think if you want to make big money, you do not get into the indie side of Bigfooting. You can you can sell it, you know, a show to TV and um, I'm trying to debate if I want to tell my Megan Fox story because I know I've mentioned it, and I don't. I'm not under NDA anymore, so I think I can. So I think I'm going to. But now's the time. If any, yeah, if ever there's a time, now's it. But um, if you're if you're into bigfooting and you want to make mega million dollars, go star on some reality show. Don't 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 make a don't make a small scale documentary uh, that tries to take the subject seriously. That's all I can tell you because that's not where the money is, and I don't think there's a lot of money to be made in books. Um, I th- listen, honestly, there isn't a lot of money be- to be made in huge random house published books. Okay. Let alone little Schiffer publishing or whatever, uh, Bigfoot 
books. It's just not happening. I don't think people quite understand the money that's being bandied about. But I had a talk with a publisher this past week. Um, we showed the movie. We showed Minerva at a, a little movie theater near here. And the guy that was uh, running the counter and I, we, we got to talking. And he works for a publisher here locally. And he, he actually just lost his job because the book business is such a disaster right now. But they've published some of these unusual books. And I asked him about one specific title in in uh, because I it's a book I've actually read. And I was kind of under the impression it was really well known, especially here in Ohio. And I asked him, what does a book like that? sell like what's it make and what it sold was about 10,000 copies and what the author made at the end of the day was about $5,000 and like what I don't know this is the other thing that I don't know that people understand the amount of time that goes into creating a book like especially a book like the one this guy wrote because this guy actually tracked down people that have he tracked down some of the original frogman witnesses like this is how serious this guy got about some of his research and um, you're talking hours and hours, and and he flew out to Arizona to interview someone. And I'd say end of the day, if he made five grand off that book, he lost money because you're you're flying and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think that it's a lucrative business. Um, I know from my experience with Minerva, we're not in it for money. We're in it to show the movie to it as big of an audience as we can, and kind of try to grow that audience and get a group of people behind us who are. Are, who want to see something that takes the subject seriously. And, and my Megan Fox story kind of bounces off of that, which is back when we were uh, pitching this thing, pitching uh, the Small Town Monsters concept, we were not pitching it, actually. We were approached by a small development house in L.A. and then a massive development house in New York. Uh, it, it was funny because... the just to contrast each other, the one was literally the biggest producer, one of the biggest producers of reality television. The other is probably the smallest. Um, they both pitched us or approached us. And the, the, we actually got to a point with the one where we were actively discussing development. Um, we had a meeting and, and I thought they were on board <laughs> with, with my initial concept, which is, you know, we're going to take this seriously. We want to get the witnesses on camera and that's kind of the thing, you know, and it was going to be a little different. I think we were actually going to be on the show and just, but it was just going to be more of the, the work side of things. It was like focusing on us actually tracking down people and going to the town and getting to learn about the town and that kind of stuff. But the first words out of the producer's mouth to me in our first development meeting was, do you know any A-list celebrities who are into Bigfoot? And I was like, you know, not really. I was like, uh, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait? <laughs> and they just kind of laughed that off. And then I said, you know, it's funny. Megan Fox is into, into Bigfoot. And they flipped out at the idea of Megan Fox and started legitimately discussing how would that look? What would small town monsters with Megan Fox look like? And could we get her? Is she gettable? What do we have to pay her to come on the show? And this led to an, I'm honest to God, this led to a discussion between the development people and myself where they were trying to tell me that they wanted the show to feel like Scooby-Doo. We were going to, we were going to be in a van driving around with Megan Fox, um, talking, you know, looking for Bigfoot, looking for Mothman. Uh, you know, it would be kind of funny 
because it's like it's like some nerds and then Megan Fox. <laughs> oh, nice! And uh, <laughs> and we walked away like we were we were mm-hmm. we didn't. I'm not I'm not trying to make us seem like the the Sex Pistols of of cryptozoology yeah. or anything. It isn't like we were like you know what? Forget this. I'm not selling out my morals. But at the end of the day, there was no point to pursue it further. For one thing, the what you know. Basically, what I said to the guys is we pitched this thing as one thing, one very specific thing, which is we're going to take the subject seriously, especially Mm -hmm. when we did the Kickstarter. If we turn around and we sell out, (laughs) and I use that term, I I hate the term sell out. I try not to use it. Mm -hmm. But if the first episode started out with the mystery van pulling up and I stumble out of it next to Megan Fox, we will have just lied to the... And I mean, it's not a huge audience, but 110 people or whatever backed our Kickstarter. I just lied to 110 people. <laughs> and you say zoinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, there there would be some hurt feelings probably. <laughs> but there's where the money is. You want to make the money. Right. There's, yeah. your, there's your yeah. show. But I have no interest in making that show. And I think there's an audience for the type of show I want to make. I might be proven wrong. <laughs> I could, I could very well be proven wrong. End of the day, um, I don't think there's a lot of money in in independent Bigfoot entertainment, um, and there definitely isn't a lot of money or any money in Bigfoot research. Um, guys like Matt Moneymaker are brilliant in their own way because they know how to capitalize on what they've got, and. Far be it from me to praise Moneymaker because I'm not a huge fan of the guy, but at least he knew, you know, what he was doing when he set out to, to I guess, turn the BFRO into a giant money-making conglomerate. Um, but that kind of stuff, for me personally, it's not for me. Uh, when we get into who's spending money to make this stuff, um, to make TV shows, it's the, it's the same people that are making... Every other TV show out there, the same development house that does Pawn Stars is doing um, whatever whatever the latest cryptid show is, and the same you know the same studio behind The Office is making some reality show about Bigfoot. It's all those are the people making the money. The big shows on TV, uh, the little guys that are doing books and especially especially podcasts. We're not making money. Uh, we're mostly in it, you know, because we're we're in, in, interested in the subject, love the subject, want to tell the stories we want to tell with it. Um, there are people that probably sadly somehow think that cryptozoology is like a gateway to making millions of dollars, but they're, they're, they're going to be... You know how there's like a billion people that want to be NBA superstars? Hmm. Like you're, you're up against... If you're trying to become some sort of cryptozoology superstar, you're up against like a billion other nerdy dudes that want to go running around the woods you know screaming at bigfoots so the odds of anyone actually making it are are slim yeah and you know what that brings up something we really haven't touched on yet and that is sort of the mercenary end of uh bigfoot money which is to say you know those who would foist a hoax on the public Mm -hmm. and try to make as much money as possible I think there, you know, clearly there's a contrast there between everything that we've talked about thus far, and then you know somebody who's out there showing a body or claiming they have one, and you have to pay, you know, to get into the place to see it. 
And, uh, you know, there, there's been a few things that I've read online that interview some of the, the people who take a more mercenary approach. And they're very, you know, at least in these interviews, they're very upfront about the fact that for them, this is a business. You know, this is, they're trying to make their livelihood off of basically either duping people or, you know, selling it as entertainment. And, you know, there's always that argument. It's all like the, the pro wrestling argument of Bigfootery, which is, it's a good story anyway, and nobody really takes it seriously. So why shouldn't I make some scratch off of it? And that's, that's an issue. I think that, you know, trying to suss that out, I think, you know, the, the folks who are making, you know, who are writing the serious books and traveling to interview witnesses so that, you know, hopefully they sell more than 8,000 copies of their book and can start to turn a small profit. Um, you know, you can understand why there might be some hard feelings there, you know, where you have a, a showman type step in and uh, really just use it, you know, use the subject as simply a, a money-making scheme, which we've already sort of established that it's not lucrative, <laughs> and I, I think that's that's pretty demonstrable. But um, you know, then you have all the things that attach to that. You know, the Bigfoot as a subject isn't taken seriously, so people would be less prone to spend money on more serious ventures. You know, there's a ripple effect there, and I think that's part of why people get as upset as they do uh, when there is a, a hoax that you know is is clearly meant as a money-making venture. Yeah, and when you're talking about that showman side of things, I, I'm pretty sure I know specifically someone we might be speaking about. But um, mm -hmm. it's funny you would bring that up, too, because uh, we were... Oh, <laughs> We were actually contacted by a um, initially a distribution company who distributes uh, documentaries made by a guy named um, um, Bomb Discardi, um, and it just happened that like they you know they didn't know really that we weren't interested in being kind of involved in that stable of of people, but um, it's just it's been bizarre like the type of of things you have to kind of take it's not i don't i'm not trying to make make it seem like we're some sort of you know like we're righteous or something it's not it's not like that it's just some of these people will lie cheat and steal to everyone and they don't profit any more than some of the other you know the people that do it the right way so why do it the wrong way because at the end of the day there's some people can call it karma whatever you want to call it um the the i, I still believe that there's good people and bad people and, and the good people still can come out on top. And so I try to be, when it comes to this stuff, I still want to be the guy that doesn't lie to everyone and, you know, end up paying for it by losing trust and all that kind of stuff. So there's, when we, when we talk about the business of Bigfoot, it's a, it's a weird subject and I, I, I love it. And I've got, I've actually got a lot of thoughts and opinions on it. I can't share on air which stinks, but it's gotten to the point where sometimes we'll we'll have an episode and people are very defensive of some things, and I just am to the point where I'm sick of being yelled at after every episode launches. So, <laughs> so <laughs> there's some things I just don't even want to talk about anymore on the show. But um, 
I'll just say there's there's a lot of people out there who have no problem lying to you and everyone else, um, hoaxing and you know to collect your money. So the uh, but do those people really profit as much as we think they do? I don't know. You know, Biscardi. I'm not saying he's a liar, but he is. But the Biscardi. What do you think someone like Biscardi is making? Because I can't imagine it's the fortune that he either pretends it is or that most people think it is. And the guy really works his butt off. <laughs> right. Well, I and mean, that's the thing is that, you know, he makes no bones about the fact in published articles that this is his, he's going for this as, you know, his means of support. So I would, I don't know, throwing a dart at the board. I mean, it, he'd be middle class, right? I would say, whatever that is. If I can make Maybe. if I can make a living like a literal mi- living doing small town monsters, um, not maybe not just films, but I've always wanted to do all sorts of stuff. I wanted to do books and all that kind of. I mean, originally small town monsters was a book, but it, it, there's I in my opinion there's nothing wrong with doing that stuff. You know, th- right? To, but I I get what you're talking about is more of see for me the big problem there is that we have someone who's been involved with outright hoaxes and lies and scam people and. How can you trust someone like that? Yeah, and and it just seems like this subject in particular so much rides on the authenticity of the person who's doing the, the presentation. Um, so I, I guess I don't understand completely how, you know, people who have essentially telegraphed the fact that they're, you know, they're they're selling you a bill of goods and they plan on doing it again. Mm-hmm. How does how does that stay in motion? That, that's what I don't, I really, that puzzles me. Unless they're just, you know, in getting in front of audiences that haven't seen their act before. Which maybe that's one of the adept qualities that you'd have to have. I, I love this subject so much, uh, in particular, this topic. I mean, not this subject, but this particular topic. If anyone wants to write in with their own thoughts on the business of Bigfoot. I would love to read those on air and then maybe we could comment and revisit this for like a round two, because I do think it's fascinating. You know, there isn't a, um, I mean, I'm sure there's some closet subset of people who are super into like researching grizzly bears, but, but this is just such a, a, a unique kind of culture and community build up around this subject. I would, and the fact that there are people that make money on it and even people who make millions on it, you know, those people that actually do manage to be on TV. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. Do you have a, uh, sum it up for us? Talk a little bit about it. When it all comes down to business of Bigfoot, I mean, there's no business unless money is changing hands. And so one of the, one of the things among many that is really intriguing is what's the point at which I part with my money to get what you are putting forward. Why do I do that? You know, everything from the things that Kevin mentions in his letter, you know, T-shirts, uh, cast tracks, um, movies, and you know, everything on down the line. What is it about that that I'm willing to, you know, pay to have that experience? I mean, in the case of uh, like a... Bigfoot t-shirt, you know, it just evokes something. It sends a signal to other people when I'm wearing that shirt, you know? Freak. But I'm part of this. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. 
to the point that I'm willing to put myself in that category when people see me in order to, to relate that message. It's important enough to me to tell the world that I have an interest in this subject, and maybe that's part of sort of the, uh, the tribal nature of uh, the business of Bigfoot. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breedslove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.